everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Yusuf Dahl. Welcome to our show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, um, I understand you have a pretty interesting story. Um, how is it that you got here and what is it that you're doing now? Yeah, well, I I think we all have an interesting story in our own way, but <laughs> certainly my path to this to this moment was was not a straight line. Um, and so, uh, you know, like a lot of the folks that, you know, you engage with on, on this show, I have a background in, in, in criminal justice involvement. Um, so when I was a young man, um, 14 years old, actually, I was sentenced to juvenile detention until my 18th birthday. And unfortunately, the kind of key, key learning from me from that experience was that the petty larceny I had been involved with up to that moment um, was really the wrong pursuit in that I really should have been, you know, selling drugs. Um, and and so upon my release from, from juvenile detention, I immediately uh, set out on that pathway, which very quickly uh, led to a 10-year prison sentence in the Wisconsin state prison system. Um, after serving uh, my sentence, I was very fortunate, I mean, throughout, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in, in, in today's uh, episode, uh, but I've been very fortunate. And um, in my early 20s, uh, during the depths of the foreclosure crisis, I ended up uh, becoming a, a housing developer, and I grew a portfolio of 200 affordable housing units in the city of Milwaukee. And through that experience, um, I was able to get a full scholarship to Princeton University, uh, where I uh, received my uh, master's degree. Uh, currently, and housing is a thread that you know you're going to hear throughout my story. Uh, but currently, um, I'm leading a national effort to repeal the Thurman Amendment, which is a piece of legislation that was introduced uh, by Strom Thurmond. I'm sure many of your uh, folks in your audience will be familiar with with that segregationist. Uh, but but Strom Thurmond introduced an amendment in 1988 that excludes fair housing protections uh, for anyone with a drug distribution conviction. And so what that meant for me was when I was recruited to lead an organization in Pennsylvania, um, I was denied access to high opportunity communities. And as the father of a rising high schooler at that time, as you can imagine, 
the the school system and the community and the in the capital, the social capital, the community capital within a particular community was of paramount importance for for me, for my daughter. And uh, I soon found I did not have access to these communities. And so uh, she was assigned to a school district that the Commonwealth had designated as failing. Uh, the school that she was assigned to attend that school district has had five superintendents in the last three years. Um, and I said to myself, this is not right. Um, and I don't want other families to have to experience this. And so that started uh, this effort that I'm currently leading. So I want to go back a little bit um, because there's a lot here, but I, I think there's a common thread that I keep hearing over and over again is that, okay, you know, you made some mistakes as a young man. Uh, you paid for those mistakes, but, you know, the system isn't very forgiving and they make it really difficult for people to kind of get back on their feet and, and be productive citizens, right? Indeed, and, and it, it's well known the collateral consequences of incarceration um, are myriad and, and significant. And it, it is, it's a significant hurdle. And, and this is just one, the Thurman Amendment is one example of literally thousands of restrictions that are uh, put on people with, with justice involvement after you have served your time. Um, and, and so how did you really get involved in doing this? And, and, and are you part of an organization? Are you part of a movement? How does that work? Well, I'm an entrepreneur and, and I'm the type of guy, it, honestly, I've just always been one of those individuals where if I, I see something wrong, um, I see some injustice, uh, I, I, I want to, I want to rectify it in some way. I mean, perhaps I'm, I'm not able to do it with my hands and I have to voice my dissatisfaction. Perhaps I'm not in a position to voice that dissatisfaction, but but certainly it's something that internally I'm going to feel like this is an injustice and this should be remedied. And so um, this effort to, to repeal this legislation that impacts over 14 million people in this country, uh, this is something I started. I've been very fortunate uh, to receive the support of a number of, of national organizations, uh, a, a lot of very passionate, capable advocates, much more capable than myself, right? I'm not a professional policy advocate. That, that's not what I do every single day. Um, but I'm an individual when, when I see, uh, when I see a barrier to opportunity, right? That, that, that's really important to me because, I've been very fortunate to be the beneficiary of a number of opportunities. And those opportunities changed the trajectory of my life, but but not just mine, but my family, right? And, and one of the things that I, I've no, I know you've explored on this show is the intergenerational nature of incarceration. So it's not going to surprise you and it's not going to surprise your audience to know that my older brother was in prison. My father was in prison. Right. And, and so I've been able to break that cycle and it's because of opportunities that I've been able to access. And so when we start talking about relegating somebody uh, to a geographic zip code that we know correlates with lack, a lack of opportunities, that, that's something that, quite frankly, I can't stand for and this country should not stand for. 
How did the Thurman Amendment come about? Yeah. Uh, so in 1988, um, there was the Fair Housing Amendments Act, and there was a number of, of elements to this legislation, but the thrust of it was that they were adding disability as a protected class. And so almost out of nowhere, and, and if you go to my social media, I've posted a clip. I literally have the clip of Strom Thurmond introducing this legislation on the Senate floor. And, you know, the guy's right, where, where, where's, where's my amendment? You know, and he has this piece of paper and he goes the rail against uh, uh, drug dealers. And, and it's interesting because you know, I, I'm not a drug dealer. I, I mean, I'm a middle-aged man who's an educator on many, on many things. I'm not a drug dealer. Now, I did sell drugs, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was 18 years old, but it, it's it's a very different thing. <clears throat> you know, one is a description of something that I did. Another is a description of who I am, right? One is more durable than the other, but Strom doesn't make that distinction. And so he goes up there and he says, drug dealers deserve no federal protection. And with very little um, uh, commentary from other senators, it passes unanimously by by voice vote. And, you know, ironically, you know, almost 40 years later, 35 years later, it's now impacting the opportunities of my daughter. And that's pretty amazing if if you think about it. And, you know, I remember the 80s and I remember, you know, the paranoia about drugs and this kind of fear that drugs were taking over. But I think you laid it out pretty well when you distinguish between, you know, a behavior, something that you did a long time ago when you were 18 years old. And um, and an identity which kind of sticks with you. There's no, I mean, I mean, there's not even any, you know, statute of limitations or you know anything here to to like, okay, you know, that was 25 years ago, and and you've been clean since. Maybe you should qualify for housing. A hundred percent. And so I've, you know, I've done a lot of research on this and I've been in communication with um, the the folks at Strom Thurmond's library, his archive uh, at, at Clemson University. And I said, hey, send, send me anything ab- about the introduction of this amendment. Like, you know, was he in contact with law enforcement agencies? You know, who, who was a lobbying for this really amendment that did not make sense in the context of this particular legislation? And you know they they couldn't produce anything. Um, and and from what I can tell, um, you know this legislation. It, you know when, if if you know about Strom Thurmond, absolutely a racist, absolutely a segregationist. But Strom was also an, an opportunist. Like I mean, seriously, like people don't know this, but Strom Thurmond, when he started off in politics, he was considered a progressive. But as the winds of of politics shifted, this guy shifted with it. And so if you are going back to what you said in the late 80s, you could not be tough enough when it came to drugs. And so this was just an opportunity for this guy to to score political points and at the same time uh, further uh, his agenda of of segregation. Um, And And the other thing that, you know, kind of strikes me, 
you know, maybe a better known fight has been trying to get rid of the discrepancy between federal sentencing uh, for uh, rock and powder cocaine. And, you know, that's something else that came about during that era. And it's proven very difficult to get rid of it. Um, you know, they've eased it, they've slowly amended it, but it's not gone yet. A hundred percent. And you have, unlike the Thurman Amendment, where, you know, you got one guy and some this ragtag group of advocates that are behind me and we're and we're really hoping to 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 generate more support and changes. But but you have the heavy hitters behind repelling the disparity between crack and powder. And that still uh, has not been um, remedied yet. Why is it so hard to to change these laws? Well, in my experience, um, it's because D.C., especially when we start talking about federal legislation, state legislation is, is different, and I think it's easier to get things done. But unfortunately, at the federal level, a lot of folks are more concerned with politics than policy. Be because at the end of the day, I, and I mean, I'm trained as as a policy. My, my master's degree at Princeton is is in public policy, and so when we think about policy, right? I mean, you're you're looking at, you know, the economics, kind of the 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 behavioral aspects of it. How is this policy going to impact behavior? What's you know, statistically, like how are we going to measure the impact? Is it doing what we thought it would do? None of that type of analysis happens in these conversations, right? Folks are just thinking the politics of it. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, it's been incredibly disheartening for me because when, when this first happened, I was so naive that I thought, okay, you know, we're going to, I'm going to explain the situation. <laughs> I'm going to sit down with, with folks, explain the situation, explain the impact. And, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to change this because what sense does it make to punish generations for something the parent might have done decades ago. And by the way, our whole approach to, to at least to certain drugs has changed in this country. So what's interesting is the Thurman Amendment applies to marijuana distribution convictions. So if you were caught with two ounces of marijuana 20 years ago, you can still be permanently excluded from particular neighborhoods. And so naively, I thought it was just an issue of making the policy case um, and we would have this taken care of. Um, but unfortunately, I, I've confronted the politics of criminal justice reform at this moment. Um, and, and it really does take more than just a thoughtful analytical argument. Like you, you really have to get the political winds behind you. And, and, and so that's what we're hoping to do. So who have you talked to and what has their response been? I've spoken to a lot of people. I would say uh, probably my greatest stroke of fortune um, has been to befriend a number of, of very savvy and passionate advocates, including uh, folks at the National Housing uh, Law Project. So a woman named Noelle Porter who runs their legislative affairs. And, and you know, she's just one of these people who, you, you know, I, I talk about how I, I, I'm not comfortable standing 
uh, uh, and, and doing nothing when I confront some injustice. I mean, she's more passionate than I am. And, and so collectively, we've, we've brought on other folks, the National Low Income Housing Coalition, some criminal justice reform advocates. Um, but it's really about building a political coalition, and that is going to take uh, folks on the right. And, and we've had some really constructive conversations, but what struck me is that even if you sit in across from one of these these individuals and they say this does not make sense because it doesn't because what folks need to understand is the Thurman amendment only applies to drug distribution convictions so had i been convicted of armed robbery had i been convicted of it didn't it doesn't matter i would not they, the landlord would not have been able to prohibit me from applying for or receiving that apartment so this legislation really doesn't make sense. It does absolutely nothing to make communities safer. It does nothing to reduce recidivism. And in fact, no one has ever made an argument to that to, to that point to me. Um, it's really always come down to this isn't the right moment. There isn't the political will. Um, and so that has been uh, really disheartening for me. And one of the things that we've discovered uh, you know, I live out in California, and we have a pretty bad housing crisis out here right now. And a lot of people don't really see the connection between uh, criminal justice reform and housing policies. And and there's all sorts of problems when when you have people that are housing insecure, right? Because um, you know, if people are homeless, it's hard for them to get access to mental health care, and it's hard for them to be able to consistently take their medication. And so uh, it's really hard to get back on your feet and deal with things like drug addiction if you're unhoused. Um, and 100%. so if you're trying to, you know, create a safer community, the worst thing that you can do is exclude people from housing. A hundred percent. I mean, it's along the entire continuum, right? So let's say you're recently released, and this is very much uh, pertinent to, to today's housing market. You're released, you're doing the best you can, you're trying to become financially stable, right? So you can do some other things, whether, you know, that's improve your credit score. So then that increases opportunities to do other things for yourself. Well, if you're a landlord, increases your rent by 30%. And if you have some type of justice involvement, particularly if you're subject to the Thurman Amendment, folks don't appreciate this, but your options in the marketplace become limited. And so now I don't have many options other than to accept that very large rent increase, which decreases my ability to pay down debt, increase my credit score, et cetera, right? It, it all builds on itself. And so when we restrict mobility, whether that's mobility to lower your costs, whether that's mobility to improve the social capital of the community that you live in, when, when we do that, it undermines the, the very kind of foundational principles of, of why we send people uh, to 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 prison in the first place. I mean, one certainly is accountability and 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 to 
you know, pay that cost for their crime. But the other piece of that is supposed to be rehabilitation. And so um, it, it really does not make sense. Yeah. And, and this is the thing, you know, you're worried about public safety and you should be, but then you're making it harder to keep the public safe by making it more difficult for these folks to get a place to live, get a job, you know, uh, get, get benefits. And so now you start forcing people back away from the legitimate enterprises and, and back toward, you know, the black market. And what's interesting is I had a, a seasoned advocate I was meeting with once said to me, you know, if you go into these meetings with, you know, certain legislators and they're going to ask you, so you say, okay, I want to roll back some of these restrictions on housing, for example, the Thurman Amendment. They're going to ask for all of this evidence. Well, well, you know, prove to us this, prove to us that. But he said, turn the table on them and ask them if there's been any evidence as to justify why Strom Thurmond or anyone else introduced this legislation. Right. They 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 didn't ask for any evidence to justify the imposing of this legislation. But as you try to roll it back, they they set the 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 barrier so high is to almost be unrealistic and it's it's just it's unfortunate yeah it seems like you know the counter is well is there any evidence to keep it is there any evidence this is making us safer is there any evidence that this is working because i haven't seen any Unfortunately, no, that there, there isn't much to justify this. And we've been very fortunate. So um, I just received an endorsement um, from the Wisconsin Apartment Association to support the repeal of the Thurman Amendment. They're the first industry group um, to endorse this legislation. And what's interesting, um, this is a group uh, in, in their endorsement, they talk about how Legislation like the Thurman Amendment, which is so outrageous, it has forced states and local governments to act, right? Because at the end of the day, it, it's all, you know, folks in Washington can impose these outrageous restrictions, um, but where the rubber meets the road are in the particular communities where folks are living. And so you've seen this rise in fair chance housing legislation or states have introduced their own protections uh, or fair housing protections and, and, and classes, right, that have made, if you're a landlord, it makes your screening process a bit more difficult because you have to, right, if you own property in multiple areas, it's like, okay, we're going to have this particular screening for this area or this type of uh, classification of crime, and we're going to have this set of criteria for this. And so what this group has said is this, they've overcomplicated it by imposing these types of laws and restrictions, and that repealing the Thurman Amendment would do nothing to harm their businesses. In fact, it would streamline the rental screening process. So I'm wondering about the statistics for this. Do we have any idea how many people were affected by this, what the consequence is for that? Yes, yeah, so over 14 million people have a drug distribution conviction in this country. Um, and so, you know, as far as how many are denied housing because of the Thurman Amendment, you know, there there's no particular statistic because there's 
nowhere you can turn to if you're denied. So for example, let's say I was denied because of source of income. Well, in a lot of places that's protected. So I could go to my local fair housing uh, agency. They would register that complaint. And so there's some scorekeeping, if you will, of the number of people impacted. You're denied housing and you have a drug distribution conviction. Doesn't matter for the drug. There's nowhere to turn. Right? Like I mean, that is the law. It is legal to do that. Um, and so unfortunately, we we don't know. But what we do know is that increasingly, Landlords are turning to these third-party background check screening companies. And so in my particular case, uh, when I got my first rejection letter, now I live in Pennsylvania. The rejection letter came from Massachusetts. That's where the, the third-party background screening company came from. And so when I registered my complaint with the local company and said, hey, I, I don't think you understand, you know, this conviction is literally older than you are. This is what I said to the, you know, the, the rental screening person. Uh, and I've done all of these things since then. Their response was, well, you need to talk to RentGrow, which is the company that does the screening. And so as it, it's it's like this cycle, right? As fair housing laws become more complicated, and they're becoming more complicated partially because of stuff like the Thurman Amendment, right? Because local organ local communities are, are enacting legislation to counteract it. So as fair housing legislation becomes more complicated, lands landlords are increasingly turning to these third-party companies to ensure an adherence to the Fair Housing Act, which then makes it more difficult for people with blemishes on their backgrounds to get second chances. So have you gotten any legislators to sign on to uh, working to repeal the Thurman Amendment? Stay tuned. Uh, we're, we're, we're hoping to be able to announce something. First of all, this is probably the most challenging Congress ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of my life, though, right? When, yeah. when when I decide to take something on, it literally is probably the most challenging uh, set of, of of obstacles that could exist. So, what we are hoping, uh, to, we've had a number of very constructive conversations, um, but as you probably very well know, it's it's not just about getting a legislator to introduce legislation that's going to go nowhere. And in fact, that particular legislator could turn off the very people that you need to, to make this happen. So we're trying to put together a coalition that really gives us a shot at restoring access to opportunity for over 14 million people in this country. Um, and then finally, you know, if people want to get involved in this issue, how can they do that? Yeah, I, so I, I mean, definitely, you know, this is something in, in my particular social media. So Yusuf Dow, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and LinkedIn, of course. Um, we also um, um, are very active on uh, uh, in social media, but but you know, in, in just trying to communicate this out. Um, to folks who may be impacted. So one of the things we're, we're really focused on right now is uh, aggregating stories of people who may have been impacted 
Uh, so please reach out to me with those. And, and the other thing I would note is I'm was recently featured in a, a docu story on uh, Paramount Plus. So it's it's a Vice on Showtime piece. It's called Backgrounded. I would encourage folks, if you have a Paramount Plus subscription, take a look at it. We're going to be doing community screenings of this docu-story uh, throughout the country in the fall with some talk back. So if this is something that's that's relevant uh, in your particular community, uh, please reach out. Uh, we're, we're, we already have some, some um, screenings lined up in New York and Virginia, uh, but we want to take it across the country. Great. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing your fascinating story and unfortunately maddening uh, tales of uh, injustice in the housing uh, market. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for all that you do. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwell. We've been talking with Yusuf Dahl about the Thurman Amendment and the impact on system-impacted people who have been caught up in, in drug distribution, sometimes decades before, and it, it trails them around and haunts them and prevents them from getting housing. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.